Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to So What Now, the podcast for startups by startups. My name is SJ. And I'm Shelley. And we started an agency called Murmur. And we realized very soon that we don't have money for business coaches. So we decided to start a podcast and glean some lessons from some of the great minds in the industry and well, the great minds of various industries. So Shells, who have we got on the show today? Today, um, we're very excited to have Andrew Ross from Chaos Theory. Mm-hmm. Husband to Brent. Husband to Brent. Linda Q, who was also on the show. An amazing entrepreneur and an amazing mind. Cool. So let's give it a listen. sure yet we'll decide i'll thank you when we're done <laughs> or not like, when you hear yeah. it <laughs> we'll edit it very very nicely don't worry good mm-hmm. can you make me sound clever Maybe. yes good, good sure answer. well we've made shelly sound clever typical so. answer of a creative yes <laughs> <laughs> fix it in post <laughs> we'll fix it in post yeah. this will be the shortest Photoshop podcast ever <laughs> so andrew let's start with introductions tell yes. us who you are uh, andrew ross uh, i'm a entrepreneur i suppose the cliched form of the word, uh, run a couple of businesses, sold a couple of businesses in my time, uh, currently building another one, which I'm loving and generally living the dream of every entrepreneur, pina coladas on beaches, private jets. Is that sounds quite, amazing. quite literally where are you going in two, three days from now, Andrew? Hush. <laughs> where yeah. were you two, three days ago? Andrew? <laughs> yeah. So no, I've been, I'm actually a professional stage actor by trade um, yes. and spent uh, the formative years of my career uh, when I was studying and out of varsity when I finished studying um, touring with stage musicals and then did my father proud and got a proper job. What was the proper job? So selling exhibition stand space was my first real job that got me mm-hmm. into the marketing industry. And it sort of snowballed from there. Within a year, I was the sales and marketing director of one of the largest exhibition exhibition stand building companies in the country. Um, built that up for a while, sold that, um, started uh, what was supposed to be an event management. They had them then, an event management company in my garage. I didn't have any clients and had never organized an event. <laughs> so what made you, you decide start to start an events management yeah. company? Um, it seemed like the right thing to do. I was bored of exhibitions and wanted to take more control of the communication message. Um, had a company called Maverick for 13 years that became a, one of the leading sponsorship agencies in the country and sort of the early days of experiential marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, through that, got into some really cool space with um, Cricket, where we were we were instrumental in the formative days of what's become known as 2020 cricket Mm. around the world Um, from that met through again a bunch of serious coincidences a bunch of people from the governing body of cricket called the ICC and a year later we were helping organize the first world t20 tournament the world had ever seen that led to the IPL we uh, ran all nine stadiums in the IPL that led to um, uh, cricket stadiums around the world and um, that's just one of the paths from very humble. Very from the stage. Yeah, from the stage. Oh. To the stage. From being an actor. <laughs> actor. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think the point is I've always been in marketing in one way or another, and I've always been the, the end game of communication. And I think I've always been in the... I've been in the tricky place of communication because we're the bit where... We're the bit where the customer actually matters mm-hmm. because it's where they're really touching. It's where the experience happens. Yeah, it's, it's where they're really touching a brand, mm-hmm. often for the first time. And no matter how you write it on a PowerPoint slide in a boardroom, it's how that hassled housewife with a trolley full of goods and a snotty kid who's got a cold and a, a, another son in tow who's lost his uh, rugby shorts pulls apart every ounce of your strategy in five milliseconds (laughs) and she walks straight past the thing that was designed specifically to stop her and make her buy your soap. Um, And that's honestly what's what's so much fun about what we do. So how has that landscape kind of changed in the the past, let's say, five years? Um, Because it used to be physical, tactile, tactical installation. I go there and I experience something. Um, How has that kind of changed with technology? I think the most significant... Technology is also a fine line for us Mm -hmm. in terms of the 
is it the lead point of the brand experience or yeah. is it something to supplement the brand experience? Mm. I still think we're very much in, at a supplementary level from a tech perspective in this country. We don't have a particularly tech-savvy tech um, crowd at all in terms of our audience. And when we do, it's quite gimmicky. Mm. Um, I think the, the primary change that we've seen as marketers and as suppliers into the 360-degree marketing space, frankly, is the role of uh, tactical, experiential, sponsorship, communication, all these things that are actually ultimately aim to get customers to form opinions, not just to uh, habitually make a decision, are becoming more important. Mm. So we used to find very much that we would get tagged on to the end of a campaign, whereas now we are strategically helping build the campaign with an experiential pillar from It's no the longer start. an afterthought. No. Yeah. It's no longer an afterthought or, or a PR function to yes. get, to get um, uh, media returns so we can justify the spend. So um, I think I think the ex the role of experiential, and that's frankly what we're doing. Anything mm. that we're doing is around experience, experiential, and trying to, to to create passionate connections with customers and brands. Um, it's becoming way more important at a strategically sound level to build that into the planning. Mm. Um, and that's I'm glad I'm glad to see that uh, that's that the agencies that we are working with certainly are in that space as well. A lot of them, the the reactive briefs we're getting are a lot less. Um, where someone's come up with an idea in a boardroom, we get called in to do this. And I, I think my point is, I think that there's a general broad-based understanding that the role of experiential marketing and the broader marketing mix is being embraced by the mainstream creatives, mm. the mainstream uh, actmans, the, the, the mainstream clients. Mm. So short answer is that I think what we're doing is becoming more important in the way that brands land. Mm -hmm. And um, it's why companies like ours are growing um, in a recessive market because the need for brands to stand out more when customers have got less money and markets are in recession um, is getting significantly more and buying more TV ads isn't fixing that yeah. problem. For and also because because it's at the coal face, you can establish trust much quicker yeah. than just through an ad, mm. whatever it might be. Well, I think mm. it's I think it's this this principle of, of change. Mm. Um, ultimately, let's be honest. You know, Coca Cola, prime example. If you if you're working with Coke, and Coke's a brand I've been fortunate enough to work on in the past. But if you're working with Coke and you're selling Coke variety X, it doesn't really matter what it is. You're only going to sell more of that in one of two ways. Mm. You're going to convert somebody that's not drinking fizzy drinks currently to drink fizzy drinks. Or you're going to convince someone that's drinking another fizzy drink, but not that brand to yours. That's pretty much it. It's not difficult. And, you know, the, the, the mainstream brands are so well entrenched in our psyche after years of hammering in. And great jobs being done by the brands in the early days of building an inverted commas brand mm -hmm. um, that it doesn't change habitual consumption anymore. Seeing a different billboard on the side of the M1 on the way home of someone else drinking Coke variety X in a different position Correct. or yeah. with a different competition <laughs> mechanism doesn't make me run out and buy it. No. no. So, you know, trial is becoming, in, in FMC space, trial is becoming the ultimate guide for consumption. You know, we've got a, we have a, a, a customer in the personal health space who revolutionized um, a significant amount of their business through sponsorships simply by going back to the basics and giving customers something to believe in when the actual methodology should be the four P's, price, product, place, yeah, promotion, yeah, yeah, how much yeah. return of deodorant. Um, and it's significantly changed the landscape of that brand by, by embracing as a pr almost as a primary tool an experiential methodology and then backing it up with digital, ditching TV altogether yes. and going to what people will resonate with because that's ultimately going to make them buy. Correct. And I think that's that's... The interesting space we're in. You've been doing this for how long? Since uh, I was 12. No. Um, so yeah, experiential. I, I, if I take the exhibition industry out of it, and I still love that industry, rather, I think it's massively underutilized in this country. Um, I've been in the eventing experiential activation sponsorship game for the past, it would be 16, 17 years. And when did this kind of change that we're experiencing now start? Yeah, I think... Uh, Probably, if I had to, if I had to put numbers on it, certainly in the past five to six years, and it's it's you could probably not probably I can tell you now you can you can correlate it to the real impact of social media mm -hmm. on the consumers' consumption patterns. Mm -hmm. 
So whether I like it or not, my business growing and the, what we are doing in sponsorships is a significant result of the way the consumer has evolved. Think about it 10 years ago, and I mean, even further, look at, look at, let's, let's look at the consumer as a prime example. When my daughter is 18, no, my daughter's 20 years old now. <laughs> Sorry, Max. <laughs> my daughter's 20 years old. She's never paid for music in her life. She's never walked into a CD shop and bought a CD. She's never, frankly, paid for a subscription service on her phone. Mm. Everything she listens to is 100% free. If you look at, if you look at the, the way that, that as consumers, that simple principle has changed us, as Correct. an example. Um, the, remember the, so the iPods, I'm going to show my age. You're both too young. No, no, no. Um, no, no. So, so my, my first sort of generation, actually third generation iPod, um, was one of the first that you could, I think it had a color screen, and you used to have your own CD albums that you would rip yes. onto your iTunes. If you were OCD, you can only sync it yeah, via cable. Correct. If you were OCD, you used to download the album art as well. Yes. <laughs> so if, that it would pop up on the Or cover. you just had the little black and white <laughs> notes, okay? And you would then sync that across to your iPod, and that was how iPods worked. Okay. Just for clarity, we're only talking eight years ago. Exactly. Okay. We're not talking yeah. eight years ago, that was how iPods worked, okay? The, the average, the average number, of, the average number of genres on your iPod nine years ago was three. So you would have gospel, heavy rock, and kiddie songs, whatever it was. Those were your three genres. Since the accessibility of music has now totally evolved, I have Spotify, mm. I have um, iTunes. I pay for both because they both serve different functionalities for me. I have access to about, I actually don't know, I'm going to make a number of it, might be wrong, 10 million songs at any one time. Mm. The average number of genres in my playlist is now 14 mm. from three. Yeah. So that's not meant to say I have a terrible taste in music. It shows you how, as consumers, we have evolved. Mm. So it is, it's we, naive of us to assume that marketing communications should be any different. It's also kind of redefined in my opinion, the idea of a target audience, because um, it used to be you could define them and go, it's X, Y, Z, tick, tick, tick. Um, yeah. So it's quite an interesting, it's quite an interesting discussion we're having as well, because I, I actually believe that the more accessible information, specific information, uh, the more available consumption patterns are, etc., to individual consumers, the less relevant the average aggregations are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we run the risk of talking to nobody if we talk, if we talk to generally. And we have to talk to everybody or we have to talk to everybody individually. Yeah. And that's also okay. Mm. We have the tools to do so. Yeah. But I think this, this generalization that, that it's okay to go LSM 8 to 10, I don't know what that means anymore. Exactly. I, I, I read it in briefs and I can respond to it. Um, yeah, that you've got your little yeah. textbook answers for sure. it. But... But, but, you know, I can tell you from campaigns that we've run, um, you know, point shopper campaigns and things that, that we'll look at after school, oh, the shoppers didn't behave the way we wanted to. No, we didn't understand the shopper. Yeah. Correct. We actually got it wrong. We didn't understand that LSMB is actually, you know, not as tech savvy or we thought or more tech savvy than we assumed. We dumbed it down too much. Mm. So I think this is the interesting space is I think the average consumer doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And I think you run the risk. The, the, the broader you try and make your catch all, the less relevant you become to anybody. Mm -hmm. The trick is to become relevant to everybody. So how important is it, especially in, in your industry, mm. to stay agile and to, to change according to the market? Like live by the business plan or live by the market? What business plan? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I do one, I'll tell you. <laughs> I run a business. I don't have time to do a business plan. No, so I think I think as an entrepreneur, it's an interesting space, and I think I think it does depend on the type of business you're in. If you're going to start a chartered accounting firm, go and do a business plan, knock yeah. yourself out today. You probably did one at the Create age of eight spreadsheets. in your wire fronts in your three-piece suit. That's fine, do it. Yeah, if you um, start a law firm, the law hasn't changed in how yeah. many hundreds of years? Start that business plan. I think where we are as entrepreneurs, I think I think the danger that I have in the creative space by I'm, I'm currently. Uh, right now in exactly this process where we're, we're opening another business, doing something, same space, slightly different, consumer facing, not business to business facing. And I've toyed long and hard with, with how to structure the business. And the honest truth is the amount of time I would have to spend to draw up a business plan 
do a SWOT analysis. Um, You've already missed the market. I've already missed yeah. the market. It's already moved. Yeah. Uh, number one. And number two, I'm going to get far more data by doing it. Correct. And iterating along the way, adjusting yeah. as you go, Absolutely. as opposed to just yeah. trying to yeah. spending it, hours planning. It's yeah. constantly refining. Our, our business changes, I don't want to say daily, but chaos theory changes quarterly. Mm. We are mm. tweaking, not the model, we're tweaking the output. We're tweaking, Correct. we're refining our communications to our clients. We're doing yeah. something. Um, you know, there are big shifts and there are subtle shifts, mm. but there are always shifts. Mm. And what I know, the, the, my best piece of advice for someone starting a business is listen to what people want. Yeah. The most dangerous thing I've ever seen is people. And so the other thing working in sponsorships, we get this a lot, is we get people coming to us with great ideas. Every, I don't know anyone that's ever bought a shit idea. Mm. Like, no one has stood in front of me trying to find a sponsor. And we don't sell sponsorships, by the way. But no one's sat in front of me trying to find a sponsor for Event X or Gig Y or Tour Z or Hockey Player, whatever, doesn't matter, believing that that thing is shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the honest truth is, it's not about if it's shit or not. It's about can I make it relevant? Mm. And that's the same with business. Can I make my business more relevant? To my customer um and, uh, and in order to do that am i listening yeah and mm. the, well that's the only way to do mm. and, and it, it, it astounds me how many business owners don't listen to their customers well i think i think in, in a lot of ways they end up selling to themselves yeah if yeah. i like it they will like it sure and it must be good because, uh, because we're good yeah <laughs> exactly um and i don't think as agencies in corporate environments we ask those questions I think, I think no is a far more powerful word than yes. Um, I, I probably doubled the size of my business in a year when I learned to say no. It's not the right gig. It's not the right idea for us. No, we don't want you as a client mm. for these reasons. And never, and I, I, if anyone knows me, I'm not arrogant. It's not about arrogance, but it's about understanding the value we can add. And if we can't align on the value that we're going to add, I don't want to work with you. Mm. I might need your money desperately, but I don't need it that badly that I'm yeah. going to risk derailing. You and I. Yeah. Yeah. It's the hardest when you need the money. Yes. yes. Let's be honest. Not Especially in the beginning. You know, we, I, didn't, I haven't had seed funding or angel investors. You know, the first month that I opened my company, I paid my staff off my credit card. Mm. How um, big was the staff when you started? Uh, three. Including yourself? Yeah. Okay. I didn't take a salary and I had to pay salaries off my credit card and pay it Let back it three months later. Mm. Um, you know, so it's, it's never easy. Um, and when you're, when you're looking down the barrel of a bowl of two-minute noodles, um, <laughs> Again, <laughs> Richard Walton, a very good friend of mine, says you know, there's nothing more motivational than going home to a packet of two-minute noodles. <laughs> but, but, you know, saying no, it, it's very altruistic when, you, when you've business up and running. It's really tough in the early days. And it's the most power. Don't build a, blizz, don't build a business plan. Say no. Mm. Say no a lot. Mm. If it doesn't feel right, say no. If you don't think you can pull it off, say no or say yes but i don't think i can put it off i'll figure it out as i go i've done that before as well yeah. mm. um i'm brutally honest with my customers my clients and my staff like it's a very open democratic forum that i use to grow a company in because it's not about me and my opinion is not always right i've never said it is but if i trust my gut enough i'll go with it i'll take that calculated risk and i'll see where it ends up mm. i also think you, you know if you if, if you're chasing the money you end up ignoring the dream and if we can't deliver on that, or if we can, but it's not going to be core to what we do, we're wasting our time. We're not, we're, or we're losing time on something that we could potentially be drawing more of an income from. Yeah. Could be losing opportunity I think by not saying no. It comes down to why do you go to work every day? Mm. No one goes to work, uh, uh, this whole, if you love what you do, you will never work a day in your life. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> You're just going to love Absolute work. <laughs> crap. You have to work down. I love drinking. <laughs> I love going to Mauritius or I'm going to <laughs> I love my dogs. I love my kids. I love my fiance. Um, I love cooking. Mm. What inspires me is what I do. Mm. What inspires mm. me is growing people. What inspires me is when work that we've had a significant input into works. Um, 
I put together a sponsorship conference because the industry doesn't have one. And it's a think tank, it's a talk shop about the role of effective sponsorships and we're putting it apart different ways in different times, three, four times a year. That inspires me to start those discussions because someone needs to have them. Correct. Do I make a cent out of it? No. Do I, does it cost me money? Yes. Is it a conversation I believe as marketers we need to have? Yes. That's, that inspires me. I don't love that. I love the output of my work. Mm. And you know, if you have a motivational poster with Everest on the back of your office, take it away. Like that stuff's, that stuff's harmful. Mm. Like you cannot fall into the trap of buying the crap. Drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the amount of people I know that spent and do spend lots of money on these entrepreneurial courses where they go and they listen to guys revving you up and telling you, you know, what you could achieve. And it's like, guys, the only guy making money is the guy on stage. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then they sell you the next course. Yeah. And then they sell you the next course. Um, do it. Try it. And risk you're all, it. all revved. Yeah. With nowhere to go. You're all risk with no toolbox. Correct. Yeah. Um, so for me, the, the, the journey of growth is why I do what I do. And I'm very fortunate. I'm in an industry which is exciting, which is challenging, which is changing, which has always got enough to keep me interested. Um, I probably wouldn't be a chartered accountant ever. No. No. Doesn't really suit me. No, but it's yeah. a chartered accountant. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's why I think the industry is shifting so dramatically. Like mm. everything's evolving around us. And the only constant is we have brands trying to connect. So how long did it take you um, to, to reach this, this overnight success? Yeah, wow. Um, I don't think I'm there yet. No. Um, <laughs> you never stop learning. Um, I think I've, I've dramatically changed my approach to business in the past four or five years. And that came from being, I was the entrepreneur that, that I was the textbook entrepreneur that everybody cardboard cutout knew. I was the first one in the office. I was the last one out. I was the one working weekends. I was the one whose kids would complain because I missed the rugby game because that last presentation just had to be done and the last email just had to be sent and I was always on my phone and I had to just check an email on a Saturday morning when you know my son was swimming and I'd he'll finish an entire um, swimming lesson I was there but, but I was not, not there yeah and I sort of had to come to Jesus moment with myself nothing happened you know what happened is I sold my business so as an entrepreneur, as a, like, I think one of the holy grails in, in your mind is, uh, how, you know, measure success, sell, you know, build a business, sell it, all those things, whatever. And I sort of did it by accident. I'm, I'm not a very, um, I can't really claim massive, you know, strategic intent. I didn't build it for 13 years. I was like, slapping myself on the back and smoking cigarettes. I sold the business to a big multinational. And it was great. And yes, you make a bit of money. And yes, you get immersed in a new culture. And all the things that I wanted out of that, I got out of it. I learned a whole bunch of stuff. The whole process of joining a bigger organization was very specifically a growth thing for me. I wanted to learn different financial models, learn different things, network with new people. And I did that for a while. And then, you know, as you do in those buyout situations, your contract's finished. And do you stay or do you go? And mm -hmm. I went. And then you go, oh. And now what? Yeah. And now what? So what now? Like that wasn't in the textbook. And I figured out that I'd spent so much time working on the goal that I knew that I wanted. I never stopped to figure out if it was what I actually needed. And it wasn't. Mm. And I've, I've made a couple of significant changes in this new business, Chaos Theory, that Brent started and I took over uh, three years ago now, three and a half years ago. Hi, Brent. Hi, Brent. And... Um, and the first thing is that I knew I didn't want to be that guy again. Mm. I didn't want to be the first one in, last one out, whatever. I also realized that in the process of being so involved, I was being drastically unfair as a boss because I wasn't empowering my staff to be the best that they could be. That sounds dangerous like a poster with a <laughs> um, but it, but it isn't. Mm. So... So I made a couple of significant changes to my management style and I trusted the staff that I was paying to do the job that they were very good at to do, it. To do the job they were very good at. Which and I is left why them, you hired them in the first place. Which is why I hired them in the first place. The second thing that I did is I created an ecosystem around them that supported their individual management styles, 
but always fed into the management system I needed. So I right now have a helicopter view of the business at any stage. I can see literally financially, operationally, um, creatively on all three of those levels, pretty much what's going on in the business at it anywhere from anywhere in the world right now. And they know that. So, and ironically, that wasn't because I wanted to keep an eye on them. They wanted to know I was watching. It's interesting. It was, it was never about me spying. It was about them knowing I was still interested. Yeah. Because the danger, once you've been so hands-on for so long, is you suddenly, oh, he's not interested. Why is he not there? Why yeah. is he not there? Am, yeah. am I not doing my job right? Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I spent a year going, don't, be, don't CC me on emails. If it's operational, I don't want to know. I'm paying you to do X. Do X. What's the worst that can happen? You fuck it up. So we all fuck up. So that was the second major change I made. And the third... Just out of interest, sorry. um, What's your um, staff retention kind of rate? I can't get rid of them. (laughs) (laughs) No. But that's great. No, very nice. So we've gone from three staff members to 20. We've grown 2,400% in three years. Mm. Um, And we're... I don't know what we're going to do this year growth-wise. And it never was about growth. I mean, I, I was given that figure about three weeks ago for something else, and I thought it was wrong. Um, but, yeah, we have, very high, we have very high staff retention rates because I believe we create an environment that is rewarding and which grows. If you walk into our office right now, first thing we did when we kicked off the year um, is that we, we had a, a staff meeting, and it wasn't your usual corporate staff meeting. We chatted for two hours mm. because we hadn't seen each other for two weeks. It was catching up. It was catching up. And within that conversation were a couple of specific threads around things like, what are your goals for the year? Not business, year, not, not business goals. What just, are you doing? What, what do you want to do? One of, one of our staff members has sort of bitten the bullet and she wants to get his driver's license. And, you know, that we now have a, we have a, a screen up in the office and it doesn't have pictures of past events and whatever. Right now, for the next couple of weeks, those are our goals for the year. That's what's important. Um, so and, more and if you nurture things. that, if you if you create an environment that people can thrive, they will grow for you. Yes. Mm. So th- that was sort of my defining moment in the way I changed my management style. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Um, you but know, it's worked for you. You've made space for you. Yeah. yeah. And you've and you've 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 opened up a space for people yeah. to grow. Yeah. And I've I've also you know put out some other rules in place. I won't. I don't open my laptop at home. Um, yeah, I need to get it's, into that. It's, one it's now. something that I'm 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 training SJ mm. on. We don't need to panic twenty four seven. I think for the first two months, because when we started Murmur, we were two weeks in, and Shelley went on holiday, <laughs> <laughs> and I was here freaking out for two weeks. But it, like the work got done, but freaked out. And ever since then, like Saturdays, like ask Shelley. Every time something comes up or I do something, I. Send it to Shelly, send it to Shelly, send it to Shelly. And I need to get out of the habit of being always on. I think it's, it's, so it's, a, it's a, not an emotional maturity. It's a, it's a business maturity. Mm. We've all done it. We've, mm. and though, uh, it's never not going to happen again. Trust me. I'm going to pull an all-lighter in the next six to eight weeks. 100%. I, I absolutely yeah. guarantee it. Like, mm. this is not, I'm, not a, I'm not sitting on a, on a pillar in the middle of the Dead Sea with the staff. Mm. So it does happen. But I think it is important to keep perspective. But it's, yeah. yeah, you can get sucked yeah. in, and and, and 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 I find that if 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 you're too involved, you end up missing things. Yeah, you you, 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 you get you get caught in the minutia, and you, mm. you you you're not actually physically looking at the big picture. Correct, correct, and and it, it's really difficult with entrepreneurs to do that because you are right now everything. You correct. are the correct. the tea yeah. the tea boy. You are the receptionist. You are the um, creative director, the ECD, the copyright. I, I, get, I get that. We entered, we entered a piece of work into awards today and you had to credit. And I was like, account management, Shelly and SJ. Yeah. Copyright, <laughs> Shelly and SJ. Yeah. Exactly. Cut and paste. Um, <laughs> and, and you actually, All of the above. you know, you get to the point that your work, and it becomes as part of this business EQ, that your work starts to suffer. Yes. Mm. Because you're burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. So, so I'll give you an example in my business. One of the first things I've always done um, one of the first things I've always done in my business, um, normally bigger salary than me when I start out in my startups, is I employ the best financial director I can afford. Mm. In fact, normally the best financial director I can't afford. Yeah. Mm. 
But what that does, if everything works out, is money's not a money is not a day to day concern for me in the way that the money side of the business is run. Mm. That frees me up to do what I'm good at. And it's those sort of false, the false business economies of can I afford it? Mm. I spent no in this in in our last business. I spent the last the first year I was in the business because it had grown so quickly, three staff members to twenty. A lot of your That's systems take time yeah. to catch yeah. up. We didn't have an IT department. What we did, me, yeah, IT. So new staff member starts, and it's either an entire Sunday of my time. Loading laptop, loading email, getting email signatures, checking things out, connecting to server, whatever, and it's and it was something that I just hadn't thought about. And you know, as I said, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm a great businessman, but about a year ago, about eighteen months ago, I went, "Why am I doing the this? fuck? Don't I have an IT department? <laughs> like, you know, we have this twenty is... staff members. <laughs> One of them could. When did I figure out? When? Why did nobody tell me? <laughs> <laughs> And um, we work on an outsource model, find the most amazing little IT company. They have changed my the life. World. And ironically, the money that I pay them, I can tell you now I get back in efficiency, not yes. just from, from me, from the staff mm. who would wait three days for me to get to fix a laptop that was slow or whatever. Now they have a ticket system. I mean, really? Yeah. We have <laughs> tickets and stuff. We have a helpline. Like, that's how we roll. Um, but, but yeah, so I mean, I think those are the things is that you don't think as a small business mm. that you actually should be doing things differently because you're a small business. And I don't think there's any excuse for that. I don't think there's any excuse for having the most amazing financial person you can find. If you can't afford them full day, pay them three hours a month, yeah. but get that Outsource input. It. That's literally the first thing we did now with, yeah. is we got a finance person and we did once a month. She does our stuff yeah. and that, that's, it's a, it's a load of our shoulders that we didn't initially think we had until we got on board. Now it's like, fuck, at least we don't have to worry about that yeah. this month. Mm. So, and I think it's an interesting point because I think one of the things that very often stifles small businesses is thinking like a small business. There's nothing wrong with thinking like a business, big business when there's two of you. Mm. There's a reason those processes work. Yeah. And, and, and the argument is we don't need it, we're not big enough. I know, but, but I think it's a difficult thing to wrap your, your head around. Yeah. But it's the right thing to wrap your head yeah. around. Yeah. Mm. No, because, and, and, no, let's be honest. So it comes down to money. Correct. Okay. Can I afford 3,000 Rand a month for an outsourced bookkeeper? Mm. Can you afford not to? And, and how much time are you going to spend on a Saturday doing books? And then you fuck it up once and the tax return's wrong and you make one mistake and there's a 20 Rand mistake. And it's also kind of, it's like moving out of the house. Like you have to buy the, the medical insurance. You have to buy all of those yeah. things. The first two years, you can't afford it. You eat fucking noodles every day. But eventually it becomes a non-payment. It becomes a non-entity. So rather sort the, that stuff in the beginning, yeah. three years down the line, yeah. it's going to be in place and it's going to be a minimal part of your expenditure. Correct. Yeah. And what's, what's, what's interesting for me is that when I changed when I changed all of these things, my clients changed. It's fascinating. And it wasn't conscious. Like I'd love, again, I'd love to tell you there was a day that we changed our presentation and rewrote our manifesto. <laughs> I haven't got a manifesto either, sorry. Um, but the, the way that we worked subtly changed. Mm. And we landed bigger accounts. We got retainer clients. Mm. Um, we... Um, have seen that the, the the quality of work that we're doing, and, and let's be honest, we're a business, the money we're able to make from the value we are adding to our customers changed because we were thinking like a proper business. And I think the other thing that we learned really quickly is we want to find clients that understand the value we can add and appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and that mindset is probably the single biggest key to our growth um and that we we absolutely have and i need to be clear it's not about being expensive or cheap it's about having an opinion that matters in a constructive forum that is respected and the outcome is a consolidated view of everybody's opinion and once that happens the work is good and once that happens your clients are happy 
And once that happens, you get more clients. Mm. Um, and it, it's, it's probably that simple. It's like a little self-fulfilling. Yeah, it really yeah. does become a self-fulfilling prophecy. prophecy. And, the, and it, you become confident in saying no to this. And, and I think yes that confidence that. your clients feel. Yeah. They kind of feel, yeah. you're, it's easier for you, which yeah. they're not picking up on any tension. Yeah. Mm. We had a we had a client we had a client the other day that we were working on a on quite a big launch a big product launch for it doesn't matter what it was, and um, we hadn't even done the launch yet. I mean we were probably um, three weeks out from the actual gig, and it had been quite a quite there was an inter multinational and lots of international input, and a couple of quite tricky moving parts. It wasn't easy, and we hadn't even got to the event yet, and um, she phoned me on the way home from an event that she'd been at as part of her other, within her own company, another division of her own company, like an internal launch. She said, it was, it was, I've just come from this thing and like, I've told them that they need chaos theory. I'm putting them in touch with you. They can't do it like that again. <laughs> Those are, I mean, you know, our clients become my advocates. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter how clever an Instagram campaign I run. You're going to use me because you trust me. You can trust me because someone else trusts me. Yeah, That's this, our game. Yeah. That's Word our game. of mouth is still That's one of the most game. valuable. Market. So, so, I mean, those are the type of relationships you want. Are all of our clients like that? Absolutely not. Yeah. We've got like every other agency, a roster where we have some that we absolutely adore and we'll go to the ends of the world for. And we have some that pay the bills. Pay the bills. Pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's just the nature of the corporate culture that they come from. I don't think it's not bad people. Mm -mm. Um, I think we have very few bad people as clients. We absolutely have some quite revolting corporate cultures that we have to deal with. And, and I'll be honest with you, you know, as a company, we, we sit as a team. We had a meeting quite recently about this where as a team, we, we look at a specific situation and the culture and the way that a client is behaving. And we have it right now. And we, we are literally looking at replacing one of our clients, just going, we just don't need it that badly. Like it's and it's you're not for us. We're not. For and it's you. so tricky because it's not, I, I, I've said this a few times, but and I think it is. It's dangerous if it is arrogance. Mm. Um, but we also have enough self-respect for ourselves and our teams and the people that we work with to not want to put them through um, a shit situation if we just have a badly behaved client. Mm. Um, so yeah, we, we have no. We have clients that we're looking to just go guys next time cool high five it was great it was real mm. next time oh, we're busy like no resources sorry google somebody else mm -hmm. um but that's that's a big thing to do and that's a big no to, to have to make and it's it, we, we will do it in a heartbeat it's defining it's a defining point of a of building a business i believe is sticking to your guns mm. and if certainly part of part of our business is built on our teams and nobody should want to be put in a position where they are being abused verbally sworn at um, yeah, like, yeah. it's also part of building the culture internally yeah. like Kay Nash used to always say um, she'd bend over backwards for any of her clients it's when they ask her to bend over forwards that it becomes a problem yeah. and it's when you start bending over forwards for clients that you know you start changing your culture yeah as well um, you know, Pepe and Gareth from Joe Public. It's uh, I'm not talking out of turn. It's in Pepe's book. Yes. You know, they, you know, they fired one of the biggest clients and nearly went bankrupt. But but they made the right decision at the time. It was the right moral decision. And also, I mean, a client can be like a wrecking ball in that respect. Exactly. And they literally. And it does. It does. Unchecked. It, it's, yeah. It's 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 an awful experience. Yeah. Especially so, for your staff. Yeah, so I mean, no. So I think from our side, our, our philosophy with our clients is is really strong. And our, the value we add to the bulk of them, I believe, is is um, significant. So what's the... Because these are very hard decisions to make. And you only make that after learning for, you know, yeah. and being in it for a while. Yeah. So what's the hardest lesson you've learned or had to learn? Um realizing too late that you should have downsized your business and almost going bankrupt. Um, I mean, any entrepreneur, if you, I don't know, if you haven't lost one or two businesses, you probably haven't got enough bruises yet, you know? Um, and it, it, you, you get caught in this, you get caught in this balancing out between ego and vanity and, and blind optimism and just wanting to do the right thing. And also 
as a business owner, it's different between being a one-man show and you know employing some of my previous businesses that had 50, 60 staff members. Mm. The amount of times that I haven't drawn a salary because you've got no money in the bank, you know, I can't tell you. That's that's the challenge. That's what you do. That's why you do this. It's why you get up in the morning. And if uh, it doesn't get any easier, um, mm. the danger is that you become complacent and you become arrogant and yes. you become lazy. And then one day you turn around, it's all gone, and you didn't wipe the shit from your eyes. You go, how did that happen? for a new insert that we call Friends of Momo. Because we're a South African podcast, uh, our platform doesn't really allow or cater for sponsorships or any form of income. So we decided, fuck it. We're just going to punt people that we really like working with and people mm-hmm. that we've had the pleasure to deal with. So today, who's our friend of Momo today? Fawn. Fawn Rogers from Social Incubator and Tell. Uh, Tell is an organization we've had the pleasure of working with. And Social Incubator is a social media agency, who defunct it. <laughs> and they do amazing work in helping brands get their social media platforms going and they're um, teaching them about their social awareness. So if you want to know more, contact Fawn at Social Incubator on Instagram. They are, yeah. So if you want to know more, go to socialincubator.co.za or find them on Instagram, Social Incubator, or just look for tell.org.za on Instagram. Love you, Fawn. Love you, Fawn. And now back to the show. So how and when, especially like when you start a new business, how and when do you know when to expand, when to hire new people, when to bring new people on board? A lot of it is, and again, you know, you know what it's like employing people. There's no such thing as a quick fix. You find the right person. Uh, I mean, I recently employed another senior person and I probably interviewed a hundred people. Yeah. Um, I mean, the hundred I interviewed were in the shortlist but I couldn't find the right magic, the right spark, the right mixture, the right combo, the right personality, the right everything. And you're adding another person into that dynamic. Correct, yeah. Mm. So, you know, when do you when do you grow when it feels right? Um, honestly, probably 10, 10% later than when it feels right. Yeah. So what you don't want to have is this monolith of a machine that you have to feed just to keep the monster going. Mm. Mm. We have quite a pragmatic approach to that. So we have, we have core team, working in business units. Um, and we, we do bring in specific freelance work, freelancers when we need them. Um, but there are core things that you have to have. You have to run a business with, with dedicated staff. You can't, you can't have an entire team built around outsource because no one gives a shit. So if you can go back and give young Andrew some advice, honestly, probably to carry on acting for longer. First thing, like, when you when you get all adults and all grown up and you start your work career you can't stop it again yeah yeah um my daughter is 20 years old she finished school i got the age right this time or she's yeah she's anywhere from 18 to 42 (laughs) i'm not sure she might Um, be your son um and you know she took a gap year spent a year in the uk and she's now gone into a, a study path and she's studying graphic design I never, sure. I never had that. You know, I went smashing into, into my acting career, did it for three years, and then literally straight into corporate. There was no gap. Mm. And acting is not a leisurely job, if anyone's ever done it, mm, was yeah, to find yeah, out. Yeah. It's, it's physically, mentally um, very complicated. Shit hours, so you don't have a normal social life at yeah. all. And I would probably have done it, honestly, I've probably done it for longer. I think the skills that I learned acting have stood me in phenomenal stead in boardrooms reading audiences, reading crowds, understanding body language, etc. Um, confidence in able to talk, etc. So that's the one thing I would have told act to me is act for longer, enjoy it for longer, just enjoy the pressure of not having much pressure. Mm. Um, certainly. Um, the second thing that I would have told younger me to spend more time not focusing on the end goal. I think I was so focused on what I thought I wanted. I didn't realize it isn't what I needed. Mm. You you get so obsessed with what everybody tells you being a successful business person is about. You forget to ask yourself, is that what success means to me? Mm. Um, I said that to you earlier on. Mm. I genuinely don't consider myself mm. a successful business person. Um, I don't know what that means because I don't understand it in anyone's context other than my own. Yeah. 
So uh, I can throw around numbers and turnover figures and who gives a fuck? Right now, if the, my, my level of success probably more than anything is measured in the growth of my staff and that I do consider a success. Mm. I do consider I've been successful in growing a team of really good people. What's the number one thing that new entrepreneurs in any field should not do? Advice for entrepreneurs. Point number one, trust yourself. Mm -hmm. um, there are going to be so many times on your journey as an entrepreneur that external factors are going to make you doubt yourself that you can never lose sight of the fact that you believe this was the right thing to do. That's the first thing. I think that's the first point. Point number two for entrepreneurs, listen to anybody that will give you advice. There are people out there that have done what you are doing. You are not the first entrepreneur and you won't be the last. And there are people that have paid way more school fees than you. Uh, you don't have to do anything with it, by the way. But it costs nothing to listen. Exactly. It costs nothing to listen and make an opinion. And by all means, make an opinion that you believe is right, but make it with as much information as you can. Third thing, motivate yourself. No one else fucking cares. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no one else is going to get up in the morning and do it for you. Um, and as you get bigger and busier, it's just going to get harder. As you make a bit of money and the idea is that you want to slack off because now you can coast is exactly the opposite that's going to happen. And my, uh, probably my biggest piece of advice if you're, gonna, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to start a company, and I'll go back to my example of no one has ever stood in front of me and told me that their sponsorship idea is shit, is make damn sure that the, what the company does, people want. Hmm. And if that means you have to take the time, not to write a business plan, but to go and talk to a hundred potential customers, sell what people need, not what you want to sell them. Yeah. Hmm. So where can people reach you online? Uh, Twitter, Mad Dog underscore SA. <laughs> Still Mad Dog. Has been since school, done us. Long story. I'm not going into it now. I, I don't want to know what your Gmail account is. <laughs> Maddog at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so uh, Mad Dog underscore SA. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Chaostheory.co.za has got all my contact details. Uh, or you can email me at andrew at chaostheory.co.za. Thank you so much for coming awesome. through. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Mm. Thanks for having me. It's been amazing. Good yeah. luck. Godspeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. So, SJ. Shelley. What was your what, what what did you take? What did you glean from our business coach? I gleaned <laughs> from our very, very knowledgeable business coach. Geez, like it was hard actually picking a nugget this week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but I loved what he said um, that the, the biggest thing that's time for small business is thinking like a small business. It, it's very simple to fall into the trap of going, no, but we can't do that yet. Or, or along the line we can. It, look, you have to be cautious, don't mm -hmm. be mistaken, but there's nothing wrong with thinking like a big business. Like, if that's your goal, if that's what you're heading towards, you need to start thinking like that from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And simplifying and... Um, Kind of automating processes that hinder you yeah the finances the it um shit, even like your your traveling and your postage and things like that um yes it costs a bit of money now but along the line those are investments that by the time you do reach big business status okay. it's just going to be a hell of a weight of your shoulders and it's shit that you don't have to sort then because it's already done it's already and dealt done. yeah um and, and 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 sort of to sort of follow up on that sort of freeing up your time yeah. So that you can focus on, on what you need to focus on mm. and building the business. And also, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that idea of business maturity, that ability that as, a, as an entrepreneur, you're so used to, and as a, as a business owner, especially from a startup perspective, you're so used to doing everything mm. that when you do bring people in, you, 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 you smother them in a way yes. because they're, doing, they're not doing it your way, per se. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's that the trap that everyone always tells you about and that we see in, in many industries is, you know, letting go. Mm. It, 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 well, not letting go is the trap. Yeah. You end up in a space where, but it's my baby. Like I need to raise my baby, but you actually need to re reach a point where 
you let it go. And you and you understand it as as Andrew said, you're not the IT guy. No. No, <laughs> There's you need people that do it faster, better. Yeah. No more well equipped. And let the people who you hire do what you hired them to do. <laughs> um, that, that old adage of if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Like that counts in business as well. If you, you're supposed to hire pe people better than you, otherwise the business is never going to grow. That's my opinion. Awesome. And uh, also um, one thing that he mentioned was the, um, it costs nothing to listen. Oh, so important. It's it ridiculous. Like, I've started falling in, into the habit, and I'm, I still need to get to the habit because you, you don't want to admit you don't know fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> you, you start the business, and people give you a listen. You're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Thanks, no. though. But it, it costs nothing to listen. And it's li these little lessons that we glean from the podcast oh. that, you know. But as you said, it's listening not just to... To, to people that are out there that have done it, that have, that have the advice, but also listening to your customer. Yeah. I think, you know, you have this great idea, it's amazing, and you've sold it to yourself, but you haven't done or sat down and taken the time to actually listen to what customers actually want. 100%. And, you know, make yourself relevant. Yeah. That is a massive... Uh, yeah, it, it's that... It, I must like it, but it must also be... Relevant. Well, someone needs to buy. It. Someone, needs to <laughs> <laughs> someone needs to give a shit. Oh, that would be the ideal. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, um, Andrew. If you want to get a hold of us uh, on Instagram, go to atmurmurorg.com. No, no, fuck. <laughs> no. As I said it, I'm Let like, me just take this bit. It makes no sense. You do this one. If you want to get a hold of us, every time, this is every single time, and I'm keeping it in this week. <laughs> If you want to get a hold of us, um, <laughs> uh, this is how, what I have to deal with. Thank God for editing software. So if you want to get a hold of us, um, you can reach Murmur at... Ah, fuck. You see, now you fucked me up. <laughs> so if you want to get a hold of the podcast, you can mail us on podcast at murmuroriginals.com. Please send your suggestions, questions, queries. Criticism. Criticism. And if you want to be on the podcast, give us a shout. On Instagram, you can reach us on at Murmur Originals. Facebook, we're just Murmur. Look for the, the kick-ass icon. That's us. <laughs> Subscribe to us on the podcast platform you listen to if you like the show. Give us a like, give us a rating, give us a comment, and let us know what you think. Mm. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>